ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. Big news today is the list of teams with a head coach opening grew when Mike Rabel was fired this afternoon. That means, as you see there, we now have seven head coach openings as of right now. The Panthers, Raiders, Chargers, Falcons, Commanders, and now the Titans all looking for a coach. Dan Graziano here with us, and that is where we begin. Graz, what can you tell us about how this went down in Tennessee? Yeah, look, there, there were there were some discussions that were planned after the season. Obviously, the season ended on Sunday between head coach Mike Vrabel and ownership. And if you listen to the comments and read the comments of team owner Amy Adams Strunk, it sounds very clear that, that she believed that Mike Vrabel and the general manager, Rand Carthon, who was hired a year ago, were not in alignment on the, the vision for the franchise. And so she made the decision to move on from Vrabel, which is an interesting decision given the success he's had as a head coach there. But... That's, that's the direction that the Tennessee Titans have decided to go. It looks like they're headed into a rebuild, and she has made it clear. Again, this is not reading between the lines. This is reading what she actually said, um, <laughs> that she wants a coach in there that's aligned with Rand Carthon moving forward as they begin um, to rebuild and, and ideally head back to the kind of success they had, you know, under Vrabel. At Graz with us all show long, and we've got a lot more on this. We'll hit it a few times in the show because there's so many different ways to look at it. I think we can all agree that Mike Vrabel is one of the best coaches in the NFL right now, which makes his firing that much more confusing. Welcome to NFL Live. Lots to get to, as I said. Dan Orlovsky is here. Mina Kimes is there. Marcus Spears joining us in just a little bit. We're going to start with Mina. Uh, excuse me. We're going to start with Dan here, actually. You think this is the right decision for the Titans right now? No, because Mike Vrabel is such a great coach. Yeah. Now, I can understand it if philosophically you want to go in a different direction and whatnot, but you don't just find guys that are great coaches like to the level that Mike Vrabel is. And it really goes to this. The moment that they decided organizationally to trade A.J. Brown was the beginning of the end. You know, in the league, like so often, coaches get fired because they can't coach. That is not the place or the case, excuse me, in Tennessee. The reason Mike Vrabel got fired, at least per when it comes to the results, is the roster. Mm. This team has not drafted well. Take Rand Carthon's right. draft this year out. This team has not drafted well since really 2019 when they drafted um, Jeffrey Simmons and A.J. Brown in one and two. Ever since then, the first two rounds have been just whiff after whiff after whiff, essentially. So it's hard to sit here and think that they're going to find a better coach if Rand Carthon wants to make this decision and their ownership wants to make the decision for philosophy reasons. I understand that, but man, Vrabel can flat out coach. Yeah, and it does make you think, do they already have their person that they want? I mean, if they were going to make this decision. For the quickness of it? Maybe. Yeah. We're all trying to figure it out. I guess we'll find out. Uh, you did mention A.J. Brown. A reminder to those out there that, of course, they traded away A.J. Brown to the Eagles. Mina, is this Titans job a desirable job for whoever gets it next? It's a tricky one, uh, largely because of what Dan alluded to, which is the state of the roster. And it's a state that's kind of confusing, which I suspect the more I think about it might be why they moved on from Rabel or why there was this parting of ways, because it clearly wasn't uh, for coaching reasons. I think we all agree he's an excellent coach. 
but I found this team sort of hard to read coming into this season because on one hand, they were clearly rebuilding. You take a guard and a quarterback uh, in the draft this last year. Nobody, I think, saw them as a real contender in the AFC. But then on the other hand, there were some moves made, signing DeAndre Hopkins, holding on to some of the veterans like Ryan Tannehill instead of trading them. That made me ask, well, are you trying to compete or are you trying to rebuild? It felt like they were on two timelines at the same time. And I can't help but wonder if perhaps what Vrabel wanted, how he viewed this season, how he viewed the roster generally might be different or might have been different from where the organization wanted to go. Yeah, I think that's a smart conclusion. Reminder, too, that Derrick Henry, a free agent, they're going to be parting ways. Sure. He said it's farewell already to Tennessee. Marcus is here now. Swagoo, what are your thoughts hey, on the firing of Rabel today? <laughs> Made it. It's in line with what Dan talked about. I mean, look, we've watched this league over the time that we started this show, and it's very difficult to find a coach that you can trust in a lot of situations. A guy that you know if you build a roster around him, you can have a tremendous amount of success. I remember us sitting in the studio scratching our head when they decided to trade A.J. Brown away. Mm -hmm. This team is not far removed from being the one seed going into the playoffs with Mike Vrabel as their head coach. This was a roster problem, and I think he's a victim of that. And to Mina's point, it, it kind of became no man's land for the Tennessee Titans and, and as far yeah. as their direction. And it seems that Mike Vrabel is taking the brunt of the mm. blame for that. When they brought in Rand Carthon, I thought this relationship would materialize with Mike Vrabel, and they would start making decisions roster construction-wise to put this team in a situation where they could compete every single year. And like I said, he won't be unemployed too long. Don't no. feel <laughs> sorry for Mike Vrabel. He will not be unemployed for a long time, and somebody is going to get a hell of a head coach. I do think the roster, Mina, and the job is a little bit more appealing than maybe just because Will Levis had some highs this year. You know, the offensive line, Peter Skronsky, yeah. Peter Skronsky, their first rounder, looks pretty promising. Spears, they need a lot more help on the perimeter. And there's some young pieces on defense that are solid players, not, not great. Um, for Rand Carthon, their general manager, he's got to find his Mick Shanahan. You know, the, the, <laughs> that group of tree coaches because – He's been in San Francisco or was in San Francisco since 2017, and the elite coordinators that he was around are all head coaches. Yeah. I mean, Robert Sala, D'Amico Ryans, Mike McDaniel. So my mind naturally immediately goes to Houston's offensive co coordinator, Bobby Slowick. I would imagine that Rand Carthon, because they're tied together in San Francisco, that that would be one of their first hmm. interview requests. But I do think that because of Levis's intrigue, the roster's a little bit more appealing than maybe the record implies I like McShanahan makes more sense than like Shaniel I guess would be the other way to go about it um and I agree I, I think I think I think your, your your take is good I also think Will Levis stand would be a good fit for that kind of offense right. um with his quick release accuracy throwing over the middle of the field the toughness um some of the mobility he has so that, to me, is job number one for Tennessee. Well, job number one, rather, is to address the offensive line. That mm -hmm. is job number one, two, three, four, five, sure. six. You got Skaronsky. You got a lot of work to do elsewhere to make Levis functional next year. Um, but I think finding a coach who fits what they want to do and what is suited to the young quarterback would be the next job. And see, that's, that's why the situation is perplexing. And I understand where you're coming from, D.O. and M.K., as far as that tree. But you knew you had a really good head coach. You don't know if you have a really good quarterback. Totally. And that's the issue that arises yeah. when I think about Fair. this situation with Mike Vrabel walking out of the door. It could go south. Hopefully it doesn't. 
But to let a guy like this walk out of the door and when you hear his players speak about him and how these guys actually fought for him in a game that meant nothing at the end of the season just this past weekend, it's hard for me to accept the fact that he was the problem and you thought you needed to fix this part of your football team. Yeah, we're going to do a lot more on this a little bit later as well as where we think Rabel could end up landing. These guys have some good suggestions there. Also, Dan, we got to give some credit for McShanahan. It came from John Harbaugh in our Ravens <laughs> meetings the other day. Okay, it's a really good one. But <laughs> sometimes those, were you going to take sometimes wow. the information I'm that some the damn good coaches. This is private, Laura. Uh, Dan, I, we got to give him credit. It's too good for you to like own that as your own. Uh, Dan was trying to steal that. All right, let's get Graziano wow. back in here for some more coaching <laughs> updates. Graz, what's the latest on Bill Belichick? Yeah, much like there were uh, organizational meetings early this week in Tennessee, those are going on in Foxborough as well uh, with the possibility that they result in a decision to move on from Bill Belichick or a mutual decision uh, for the two to part ways. Now, it's obviously a complicated situation given all the success he has had there, unprecedented success, uh, but most people around this situation still believe eventually there will be a parting of the ways. We await the official word. And then Jim Harbaugh is in the news, won the national championship for Michigan last night. Uh, He is going to be a popular head coaching candidate with NFL teams once he's done celebrating and taking the time he deserves to do that. Being connected in a lot of speculation with uh, the Las Vegas Raiders and the Los Angeles Chargers, two possible destinations uh, for Jim Harbaugh. I think Washington may be interested in talking to him. And and, uh, honestly, we really don't know what Tennessee is going to do. That thing just came open. Yeah, um, I will tell you this from being with Michigan here over the last couple of weeks with the Rose Bowl and then, of course, the national championship and hearing from Harbaugh, he said that it's not that he's thinking about the next step, which I'm sure he probably is, but he's not ruling it out either. So I think that was pretty telling when it comes to his propensity to maybe jump back into the NFL. Marcus, we don't know Harbaugh's plans yet, but if he comes to the NFL, where do you see him landing? Oh, the Chargers. I mean, it's like as clear as day. And it'll be a lot of suitors for Harbaugh. But the quarterback play, you think about him in San Francisco with Kaepernick and what he was able to do with that organization and franchise. And that's why he's such a hot name going into the league. We've seen him build programs in two different places on two different levels. And that type of success is not a mistake. It's not by happenstance that Harbaugh has had this level of success that he had in the NFL by going to a Super Bowl, but also what we just saw from Michigan. So to me, Justin Herbert is going to be the cream of the crop for a lot of these coaches. Yeah, um, I agree. I think it would be a good spot. I think Harbaugh, he's a fantastic candidate for a number of reasons. Obviously, people will point to the success both levels and the winning most recently sadly, over my Washington Huskies. But I I think what stands out to him is is not just the culture of it and the the success he's had, but the way in which he succeeded. I I was thinking about this actually watching Michigan. That team is so well coached. Mm. And it's not just like a fundamentals and execution thing. It's the innovation. Harbaugh at multiple steps in his career has embraced different types of football. Uh, I think it would be amazing for L.A. if he could bring that Michigan defensive coordinator with him because holy smokes, that <laughs> unit uh, is creative and, and well-coached and not too dissimilar from what we're seeing with one of the uh, the defensive McShanahan in, in Baltimore, Mike McDonald. But, yeah, I, I think it'd be a slam dunk hire for L.A. And it's not an easy situation. They've got a lot going on with their roster outside of Justin Herbert, got to clear a lot of cap. 
So I think when you have a situation like that, it's good to go with someone who's proven knowing that the first year could be a little bit challenging. Yeah, I think Michigan last year had seven turnovers and something like 35 penalties. So to your point, Mina, how well coached they are. I think yeah. when it comes to like takes, I was probably Michigan and you're Washington and I run for over 300 yards against you. Oh, um, my God. Whoa. Let, let, let me say this oh about Jim God. Harbaugh. Let me say this about Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> Boo, I think it's undisputable. <laughs> the best quarterback developer that the NFL could go after right now. If you look at the – this goes mm. back to college, Josh Johnson, and then it goes to Alex Smith, and then it goes to Colin Kaepernick, yeah. and then it goes to Andrew Luck, hmm. and then obviously national championship with J.J. McCarthy. So, you know, Marcus, I think of the Stanford-Andrew Luck days when he would put so much information in Andrew Luck's head – and they would do all those shifts and motions, and Andrew would control the line of scrimmage. Justin Herbert is in very much so the same type of makeup intellectually and physically. So the yeah. Chargers for sure. But if you're an organization and you either have a young quarterback the or want one, he's the best developer there. Yeah. Do you think Justin Herbert would be the most talented quarterback that he's had? Hmm. Uh, no, Just, Andrew was more talented than Justin because Andrew Andrew Love, had different pitches. Got Justin's got really a, a, a cannon fastball more often than not. And, but he's not far off, though, fella. Like, you know, Justin is unbelievably physically talented. You wonder, too, if he looks at the Bears, even if they hold on to Justin Fields or get an opportunity to draft one of those quarterbacks in the top mm. of the draft, too, returning mm, to a place mm, that he's mm. very familiar with. Going to be fascinating to see how this all shakes out. we got a whole lot more. We're just getting started here today on NFL Live. The Cowboys' defense will have their hands full with Jordan Love this week. Coming up, Mina tells us what that Dallas D needs to do to break Love's heart Plus, will the Dolphins defense decimated by injury in Kansas City? What did they need to do to take advantage? Well, Marcus has the answer to that. So much more coming your way right here on NFL Live. We'll be right back. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. NFL Live is brought to you by Marvel Studios Echo. All episodes streaming tonight exclusively on Hulu and Disney+. Hey, a big game and what is expected to be a frigid Kansas City on Saturday. Patrick Mahomes is 6-0 in the wild card and divisional playoffs in his career. Not only is that the most wins without a loss by any starting quarterback, but it's also the third longest winning streak in NFL history, trailing only Tom Brady and Donovan McNabb. A different Chiefs team this year for sure, but still, Mahomes has 16 touchdown passes and one interception in those six wins. Mahomes pumped for another playoff run. 
What could be better, man? Playing playoff football January at Arrowhead Stadium. Um, it's going to be cold. Kind of is what it is. I'd rather be playing a football game than chasing my kids around the backyard. So I'll have a little bit of the adrenaline rush, and uh, I'm excited for it. I mean, everybody's a little banged up here at the end of the season, and uh, to get guys rested and, and preparing their bodies. And then I thought it was an energy boost just to get to watch these other guys that worked uh, day in and day out and don't get those opportunities. They got to get those opportunities, and they found a way to win a football game. And so uh, definitely it was exciting for me. On the other side of this one, a very thin Dolphins defense got a lot thinner with linebackers Andrew Van Ginkle, Jerome Baker, and Cameron Good all being ruled out for Saturday's game against the Chiefs. Disappointing, Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips were already out for the year, of course. Corner Xavier Howard hasn't played since week 15 and is not expected to play in this one either. The Dolphins looking for help. They did sign linebackers Justin Houston and Bruce Irvin today, kicking the tires on a couple guys who are veteran have been around the league. Amina, are all these Dolphins in? Injuries, a bit of a gift to the Chiefs' office, may offense, maybe. Oh yes, I mean th these injuries are brutal. Being down, not just your number one, but your two, your top three edge rushers, it's a massive problem for Miami. Um, last week against Buffalo, you saw Vic Fangio blitz more than he has all season, even dialing up some zero against Josh Allen with mixed success. I, you'd think he would have to do the same against Kansas City to get any pressure, but then you run the risk of Patrick Mahomes killing you with the killing you versus the blitz, which, you know, as limited as this chief offense has been this year, uh, they're still a very good screen team. They call the most screens in the NFL and have the second most yards per attempt off of them to only San Francisco. So I do worry that they'd be playing into his hands, but then they'd be doing so by necessity because, frankly, I don't see how they get pressure otherwise. The most important part of this football game is going to be that opening script, the first 15 or 20 plays of the hmm. game. I think for Andy Reid and Matt Nagy, it's going to be information gathering. Obviously, you want to go and try to have some success, but to Mina's point, there's a lot of unknown in this game because you brought up them pressuring Buffalo and some of those zero blitzes, and you sit there and go, well, it worked. Yeah. I think a little bit was Buffalo being unprepared and maybe not ready for that, and that's on them. Kansas City and Patrick obviously will. And then once Buffalo had some success with it, it started to go away. But are they going to do that with all the injuries, and especially if Xavier Howard doesn't play? Are you really going to go all-out pressure versus Patrick Mahomes and and Andy Reid and, and the screen game, you, we would never have done that in the past. Mm. So I think, like, how are they going to play 11 personnel, one back, one tight end? How are they going to play 12 personnel with two tight ends in the field? How are they going to play if they put two backs on the field? I, I think with all those injuries, the information figuring out is the biggest part. Yeah. Yeah, Dan, really quickly, I, I would not be surprised if they call some drop eight in this game. And Kansas City, you know, think back to, the, the, of course, the second half against Cincinnati, yeah. needs to be ready for it. Run I cannot it. see Patrick Mahomes running around back there looking for guys open downfield. They <laughs> sure. need to be prepared for Vic to call that change up because I bet he will. Good point. Yeah, the unfortunate part real quick before I get to where I'm going is that these tackles are the vulnerable spot. And without having Chubb and Jalen Phillips, I think that's how the Miami yeah. Dolphins could have won the game. But I'm going to go to the other side of the ball offensively like we've talked about all season long. I brought paperwork today, y'all. Uh -oh. I got paperwork. Okay. Listen, hey. this is what boy. it is because y'all know when we get to the when we get to the playoffs, y'all know it's a belief. I have a firm belief in, in the run game, but this is the deviate away from that. Do y'all know week 15 versus the Patriots, Travis Kelsey had 28 total yards okay. receiving. Mm. Week 16, 44 yards against the Las Vegas Raiders. Week 17, 16 yards Ooh. against the Cincinnati Bengals. He, mm. he has to be the Travis Kelsey that we've grown accustomed to 
and the guy that we know is going to be in Canton with a, with, with a Hall of Fame jacket. Listen, I get it. The screen game, y'all just talked about schematics. We saw Rishi Rice start to ascend. This offense is going to be about Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey because I just watched Buffalo Marcus, I take think advantage it's about, of a Miami defense uh, with the tight ends. Marcus, I think it's, I, I think it's got to be about Rishi Rice. I really do. Like, mm -hmm. I think everybody has to admit that it's no longer through Travis. Doesn't mean he's not going to play an impactful part, but this pass game has got to be built through and run through Rasheed but Rice. What if Jalen Ramsey shadows Rasheed Rice, Go ahead. who is Go. by far... I was just yeah, about sorry. to say it. Oh, yeah. no, I was just saying, yeah. I, same thing, same thought. Is Ramsey on Go ahead, Rice. Go ahead, MK. <laughs> no, I, well, I, I think I we're going in the same direction here, which I, is, yeah. Yeah, I just took, I took the information of what Dawson Knox was able to do, of how many one-on-one -on -one situations he was able to be in against this Miami defense, especially against pressure. And we, I saw Josh Allen get more comfortable alone as the game went along through his tight end. Sure. So, I, I mean, I think that's the place that you have to exploit, and that's why I brought up Travis Kelsey in this particular situation against this defense that's going to have to bring pressure. Yeah, you know, when we uh, talked to the Dolphins earlier this season about their defensive scheme, Jalen Ramsey, Dan, wasn't really shadowing anybody like that or following anybody yeah. like that, but it's a different defense now, and, and to y'all's points, that could absolutely happen. Yeah. Dan, did you have and, something quick? No, I think Mina's point of if Jalen Ramsey is the person that follows Rasheed Rice, then that probably changes the, the vantage yeah. point of Kansas City's offense. And totally. Uh, Andy Reid said Donovan Smith, and the chief, the, that's the Chiefs left tackle who has missed the last five games with a stinger. He's on track to play Saturday. So they're getting more people back. The Dolphins, unfortunately, on defense, losing some people. Still to come on NFL Live, Joe Flacco and the Red Hot Browns <laughs> took down the Texans in Week 16. So what needs to change for Houston this time around? With everything on the line, Mina will tell us next. We'll be right back on ESPN. Punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. Let it come. FX's Shogun. Now streaming on Hulu. The postseason NFL countdown crew has you covered for Super Wild Card Weekend, Saturday and Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN and the app. They'll have previews, player features, and early breaking stories, injury updates as well with Adam Schefter. So everything you need to know happening there. Okay, the Browns go to Houston to face the Texans on Saturday. Joe Flacco and Amari Cooper went off the last time these teams met. It wasn't that long ago in week 16. Houston didn't run much man defense in that game, but when they did, Flacco shredded it, averaging over 14 yards per attempt with three touchdowns and a near perfect total QBR. And that's a trend for Flacco, okay? He's on fire. He had a 77 QBR against man this season compared to a 34 against zone defense. There's something there. Here's Kevin Stefanski and Demi Nico Ryan's on the rematch. They played this team. As you know, they're different. Everybody's different each week, but CJ Stroud's a great player. I mean, he's a great player, so we did not face him in the first one. Um, you know, there's injuries that guys that are back on defense that they didn't have. It doesn't matter who's been out there or who was out there last time. Like, we just got to play better. You put the tape on from last game and you see 
instantly it wasn't good enough, right? So we got to just play better in that regard, no matter who's out there. D'Amico was too busy yelling about the big win. Uh, against, <laughs> a little raspy there. Uh, Mina, we showed you the numbers for Flacco against zone versus man. What yeah. needs to change for the Texans defense this time against Flacco and that Browns offense? They got to be prepared for the play action passing attack. This has been the case for all teams facing the Browns with Joe Flacco, but uh, they actually shredded them with the under center play action. Uh, last time they played 10 for 15 for 209 yards and a touchdown. Now it does matter who's on the field uh, because Will Anderson Jr. didn't play. Grenard was hurt. And I think having those edges in will help because they can peel off when Joe boots out and chase him down. But then when you do that, you got to also be prepared for Stefanski to counter uh, with some runs. Uh, it's that chess match, of course, with play action. So I think the, the Texans have to go into this week with a, a very, very specific game plan for that. MK, all those were on first down, too. I, I think that's the huge challenge for Houston defensively is how are they going to defend the first down play action pass game? And it's really what coverage do you feel better about? This is going to be middle field open, okay? This is their first snap of the game. Middle field open means there's two safeties. Cleveland's going to try to attack the middle of the field in this. They're going to put two tight ends in the field, one back. They're in 12 personnel. See that cut split by the receiver? Forces that corner to play off and outside. So now you have leverage. This is what they love. Palms or quarters. Everyone's got a quarter of the field. That safety's got vision on that number two guy, which is the tight end. Sees the ball fake, and he's flat-footed for a second. That's enough. Coop already has leverage. I've got eight guys in protection, and all he has to do is basically run vertical, keep the corner outside, and just allow that safety to drift horizontally instead of vertically, and there's a big ball. That's on first down. So that's first down versus middle field open. Now you go to another first down. This time it's going to be middle field close. One safety. They're going to again go play action. Chip with the tight end. Coop one-on-one. -on -one. You see the soft corner. No one up in his face. He's really going to run a post corner or what we call a shake route. The pocket is great for Joe Flacco because first down and play action, and it's essentially a one-on-one -on -one route. So you see the big ball down the field versus two safeties, one-on-one -on -one versus one. This time, big 21. That's an extra offensive lineman at fullback. They're again going to play one safety in the middle of the field. He's going to cut the backside. This is that bootleg that Mina's talking about, and it's a double move. Great pocket for Joe Flacco. Amari Cooper's running a comeback and go. The tight end in the over. Joe's just staring at the tight end to get the safety to drive it because that's a traditional bootleg look. Then it's one-on-one. -on -one. So all those are on first down. There's two more that we didn't add to that tape because it's long. And I think that's <laughs> the question. Is Houston showed two safeties, not great. They show one safety, not great. I'd also say this. Even if it's zone, will they just mar marry Stingley on Coop no matter what to try and minimize his big play impact? Mm. Huh. That's exactly where I'm going to the Amari Cooper had 11 catches for 265 and what you just showed on that tape Dan it was explosive plays Big time. I mean keep the man in front of you it's simplicity in football sometimes and then when you pressure you got to tell your best corner you got him and we got to take care of him I look at this game like last week when we watched them play the Colts in that in that win and get in Jonathan Taylor had a huge run there were adjustments made up front by D'Amico Rans we understand that he knows how to call plays. But there were some opportunities down the field for Gordon Minshew that he just missed. Yeah. So I'm looking at this game between Derek Stingley and Amari Cooper. And when you do take those chances and those opportunities, you got to make a play cornerback. 
or it'll be a bad day again. Yeah, I mean, that's a matchup to watch. If you think about the quarterbacks even in this game with Joe Flacco, what he's done. Also, C.J. Stroud on the other side, maybe the story of the year. Joe Flacco's won seven road playoff games in his career. That's tied with Tom Brady for the most by a quarterback in the Super Bowl era. So Flacco's like, yeah, give me the postseason, okay? Elite. Whoa. Uh, let's dive into some of the biggest offseason storylines around the league. Justin Fields, future in Chicago, up in the air. But his teammate, D.J. Moore, continues to call for Fields to remain a bear. He's the quarterback for the Chicago Bears until otherwise, and I don't think that's changing anytime soon, so we'll see. How would you like that to work out? Like what, for Justin to be here? I mean, it'll, work, it'll be amazing. You know, nobody wants to really start all the way over. Graz, what's next for Fields? Yeah, that's the big question, Laura, and, and the Chicago Bears have a decision to make. They have the first pick in the draft and the opportunity to take someone like Caleb Williams or Drake May with that pick and restart the contract uh, set up with a rookie contract as opposed to Fields entering his fourth year. At some point soon, you're going to have to extend him if you keep him. Everybody loves Justin Fields there. DJ Moore loves Justin Fields there. He doesn't have to write the checks or mm. balance the salary cap. The Bears have a difficult decision to make. It's not keep Fields or move on. It's pay Fields or move on to a, a promising rookie. Good clarification. In Minnesota, Kirk Cousins currently rehabbing an Achilles injury will be a free agent. Here's what he said about his priorities right now. I think that God has blessed me financially beyond my wildest dreams. So at this stage in my career, uh, the dollars are really not what it's about. Structure is probably more important. How do you define structure? Everything that isn't the dollars. Okay. Roz, what's next for Cousins? Cousins could return to Minnesota. They, they like him there. He likes living there. That is one of their options going forward for next year. But kind of like the Bears, the Vikings aren't sure exactly where they're going to go at the quarterback position. They're going to survey all their options. But it has to be encouraging that, to them to know that for the first time ever, uh, Kirk Cousins isn't, uh, it sounds like he's not going to stick them up for the most possible uh, money, the most possible guaranteed money as he has in the past. If he really is willing to, to you know, operate the numbers with them a little bit, it probably increases his chances of being back there where his family lives uh, and, and enjoys living. All right, coming up, the Eagles offense has struggled heavily during Philly's slump. Dan Orlovsky heads to the touchscreen to talk about why the high-flying Eagles have stopped soaring ahead of their game against the Bucks this weekend that they've got to win. More coming your way right here on ESPN. speaking glowingly about his head coach on Sunday Cowboys owner Jerry Jones finished by saying quote we'll see how each game goes in the playoffs that had people wondering about Mike McCarthy's long-term future in Dallas Jones back on the radio this morning clarifying the comments I don't know how it could be any clearer uh, coach McCarthy's under contract for next year and so that's not an issue uh, secondly I couldn't be more pleased with what he's done and how he's coached. Well, I'm so sorry that media uh, might interpret <laughs> what I say differently. That's that's rare. I don't have that happen very often. <laughs> <laughs> you don't really think I'm going to discuss this damn press conference? <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, Marcus, what are you making Jerry's comments? 
I'm glad he said what he said. I, this this man has won 36 games in his first three years with the Dallas Cowboys. And every offseason, we talk about his job. The team is going to the playoffs. The quarterback, out, you can make an argument, outplayed anybody in the league this year after he took over play calling duties. I'm glad Jerry decided to clarify that Mike McCarthy is under contract and he'll be there next year, and he should be. I, I love it. He's like, I never say anything that gets misconstrued. Uh, back to Sunday's matchup. Since week 10, <laughs> Dak Prescott and Jordan Love have been the two best quarterbacks under pressure in the NFL, ranking first and second respectively in total QBR under pressure. That'll be especially important for Love as this Cowboys defense leads the NFL in pressure rate this season. And, you know, what does the Cowboys defense need to do to try to slow down Jordan Love? Yeah, it's a challenge, which is incredible to say about a quarterback who's really a rookie, right? This is his first full season. The fact that he's so good at handling pressure, handling the blitz, navigating the muddy pockets. I think for Dallas, uh, the question becomes what kind of pressure? do you bring? How do you deploy Micah Parsons, who's you know the best defensive weapon in football by many metrics? Um, one thing that I think would be effective against this Green Bay offensive line is to either move Micah inside, have him line up there, or have them run games to spring him uh, coming through the middle versus the Packers center is arguably, I think, the weakest player on that offensive line. Also has the benefit of flushing love from the pocket, where as good as he's been against pressure, the blitz, almost everything outside the pocket. He's actually 31st in QBR, and I think that would work to Dallas's advantage. It's crazy to think you would draft a quarterback with a 38-year-old quarterback, and he would have success after sitting behind him and learning the system and not having to uh, adjust immediately. And now he's about to go to the playoffs. I just thought I'd throw that tidbit in there because <laughs> everybody lost their damn mind. What a I like time. what Green Bay did offensively <laughs> in the run game with split flow. Um, Aaron Jones was phenomenal in this game, and there were a lot of explosives out of the backfield. I think this helped Jordan Love more than anything. This was very, very explosive. You see the split flow action. You see the misdirection. Yeah. This is very difficult for defenses because everything you're reading is telling you that this ball is about to be pushed to the outside. They had this run pop about three or four times in this game. And it's something that I paid attention to because it made Chicago's linebackers, Edmonds especially, take a half a second before he got into his drops. I think this is absolutely something they're going to use against Dallas after Dallas has shown the propensity to give up some yardage in the run game. Yeah, another um, credit here to Jordan Love, by the way. According to Elias, this is the first time in NFL history that the outright top two leaders in pass touchdowns will face off in their team's playoff opener. We know how well Dak Prescott's been playing. Wow. Look at Jordan Love. All right, let's get to another super wild card weekend matchup. Monday, the Eagles and Bucks face off. 8 Eastern on ABC, ESPN, and ESPN+. Plus. Our megacast coverage also includes Peyton and Eli on ESPN2 and our ESPN Deportes Spanish language version coverage begins with NFL Live and then Monday Night Countdown at 6 Eastern. But we'll be there with you at 4. Hey, we've talked a lot about the Eagles' defensive struggles in their final six games of the season, but the offense also dropped off. They're going to have to pick it up against the Bucks on Monday. The Eagles averaged almost eight fewer points per game in their final six games compared to their first 11. Thanks in large part to Jalen Hurts struggling down the stretch. Dan, what have you seen with this Eagles offense? Yeah, this Eagles offense is one of the worst in the NFL and certainly in the playoffs. 
when it comes to dealing with the blitz, dealing with pressure, both in plan and then execution. This past weekend against the New York Giants. Okay, so this is a seven-man protection. Okay, the New York Giants are only going to rush five. That means advantage us. We have two extra bodies. Now, a couple things I want everyone to pay attention to at home. Number one, I want you guys to see that the Eagles offensive line is in two-point stance. Three-point stance, they got their hands down in the dirt. Two-point, they're standing up. Now, that's who they were last year. Now, the difference is second and eight last year, both in their run or their play action, they would fire off the ball, have low helmets and flat backs. They're trying to sell that to the defense. Pay attention to this. Again, we have seven-man protection. The Giants are only going to bring five. See how vertical everybody is for the Philadelphia Eagles? Now, both guys get beat in this protection, second and eight, and then it's a throwaway. Complete waste of a down, only because we don't have a max protection advantage because of the lack of sell. Now, this time, we have six guys in protection. The New York Giants are going to bring only four. This should be advantage us if you're the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line. You see those two guys, or the, those two-point stance as an offensive line. Now, look. Everybody's standing straight up. This is a play-action fake by Jalen Hurts. These linebackers and drop-down safety are not affected at all because there's no actual sell to it. Last year, there was. Now, again, Cam Jurgens, who's the right guard, is getting strong. It's very much so struggle on the inside of their protection. First and 10, complete waste of a down because Jalen Hurts once again has to throw the football away. Now, that's somewhat execution. Let's go to plan. Okay, we got six guys in protection. Now, the New York Giants have one, two, three, four, five, six right there. That means if the seventh guy comes, Jalen, we're hot. We got to get rid of the football. The last two were execution. This is plan. If that person blitzes, you have to get the football out of your hands. Here he comes. This is easy for the quarterback. Okay, the blitz comes. It's third and eight. I have to have a plan. Now, here's my thing. Jalen's just looking downfield. He obviously isn't ready for that potential slot blitz. Now, here's my issue on this. As Jalen's looking downfield, guess who else is looking downfield? Every pass-catching option for the Philadelphia Eagles. So not only does it look like Jalen Hurts doesn't know he's hot, neither do the pass-catching options for this offense. And again, first down waste, second down waste, and now it's third down, run around, make a play, waste. This is the story of the Philadelphia Eagles' pass game in many situations this year. They're not ready for the blitz, or they're getting overwhelmed by pass rushers both up front, and then the pass catchers and Jalen Hurts are not on the same page. When teams do blitz them with an extra guy, there's no plan for what to do with the football. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense is going to blitz this offense a lot on Monday night. It all comes down to that, Dan. Great stuff. We'll see if the Eagles can pick it up when it matters most. Still ahead, Mike Vrabel out as the head coach for the Tennessee Titans. Which team should be lining up for his services? We'll have more on some potential landing spots that you don't want to miss. Where he may coach next. It's all coming your way on NFL Live right after this break. All right, welcome back to NFL Ow. Live. Rutledge not only was wearing incredibly oversized gloves, but wanted me to practice my hosting role. So I'm going to take us out of commercial break here. Laura, why, why are you, the, the gloves that you're wearing you so guys. big? Well, because I thought that I ordered women's gloves. and I What do you have here? I'm I just, ordered, you guys, oh my goodness. I am ready to do a touch. These are totally normal gloves. Oh. Oh, I like Mina's. Mina's are cute. Of Marcus definitely has Mina. oven mitts. Okay, wait. I ordered these gloves to the hotel from Amazon. <laughs> 
and I thought I clicked women's, but they were men's, and I didn't open the box until it was too late, and then I had to just wear it. Yeah, but then the gloves actually fit your personality better. <laughs> okay, wait, but there, this is one funny thing. I got really self-conscious, so I was trying not to talk with my hands, and then I was just like, I couldn't do anything, and, and then I, I was trying to like it. hide them. It, it was so bad. I'm such a dweeb. Do, are, do you still have the gloves, or did you No, I left them there, because they were honestly, true story, too big to fit in my carry-on. Do better, Boogie. Oh, Dan, you're so brutal. Yeah, you're right. All right, all right. Enough of me. I'm such an idiot. Let's get Dan Graziano no. back in here for our top stories. Graz, the Steelers losing a big piece on defense as they prepare to face the Bills. What can you tell us? Yeah, yeah Laura, Coach Mike Tomlin officially ruled out PJ uh, Watt, their, their top edge rusher, perpetual defensive player of the year candidate. Uh, he suffered a knee injury in last week's game, will not play this week. The Steelers have some hope that he might be able to rejoin the team if they are to advance a round or two deeper into the playoffs. But of course, that's going to be a lot more difficult to do without having P.J. Watt on the field Sunday in Buffalo. And the big story of the day is, is Tennessee Titans moving on, firing a head coach, Mike Vrabel. Uh, the Titans owner, Amy Adams Strunk, putting out a statement saying she wants to make sure her general manager and her head coach are aligned going forward. And, and uh, as a result of that, the decision was made to move on from Vrabel, uh, and they will now uh, hire a new head coach to work with general manager Rand Carthon. The Titans, the latest entrant onto the head coaching market here in the 2024 offseason. <laughs> by, by the way, my hands are small, okay? Just for people at home, they're wondering. Kraz, you're amazing, and I'm glad you went and got your, your oven mitts for this. Uh, Marcus, let's get back to Vrabel on all of this. We, we've talked about what happened in Tennessee. <laughs> but where could you see Vrabel landing? Because I think he's one of the best coaches in the entire yeah. league. Who wants him? I agree with you, and I think the Washington Commanders should have a plane on the way right now. Mm. And I was thinking about something as we talked about this. You, <laughs> Josh Harris and his group, he hired Bob Myers to be a part of this search firm. And Bob Myers comes from the Golden State Warriors, where a former player has led that team to four NBA championships and Steve Kerr. And I think they, I, it has to be something in the thought process of how you can duplicate that success on the NFL side. Mike Vrabel has already proven he can coach. He's already proven he can motivate. He's proven that he actually can win games when his roster is not constructed in a way for you to have a tremendous amount of yeah. success in this league. But I think with that group and how they've been positioned, there's some familiarity with a former player being a head coach and having the type of cachet that Mike Vrabel has. Steve Kerr was an NBA champion as a player. He's an NBA champion as a coach, and I think there's a lot of correlation there with the commanders and where they are positioned now. You know what I love so much about Vrabel as a coach and why I think he's such a desirable candidate? He has all of the former player bona fides you talked about. He Players play for him. Uh, but he also is very forward-thinking. Dan called the game where he went for two down <laughs> eight. Uh, Laura, you were there. I love that. But he's also he has this like long history of uh, knowing the rules better than other coaches and, and being very strategic sure. yeah. about that. Uh, I think where it gets interesting and potentially a little tricky is if, if you're a team that needs a coach, you say, oh, my gosh, Mike Rabel's open. That is free. That's amazing. But Bill Belichick might be available. J uh, Jim Harbaugh. Yeah 
is likely available. Hardball, and then you yeah. have amazing candidates like yeah. Ben Johnson, Mike Mc, uh, Ben Johnson's the offensive coordinator for the Lions, Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator for the Ravens, Raheem Morris in Los Angeles. I would argue, Dan, that this is as good a selection of head coaches mm. that I can remember. And honestly, it also, I think, casts a light on teams that are debating whether to keep their coaches right now, like your Chicago's, your New Orleans and whatnot, knowing yeah. that all of these guys are available. Yeah, I think your point's accurate. And that's why you can understand the owners in Tennessee saying, like, the philosophies have to match up. And I think that's going to be a huge part of this head coach hiring cycle is if you're the general manager of the organization, do you align with that head coach's philosophy in both like how you're going to build your roster, how you want to play football? I agree. Like Washington should call obviously New England if they decide to do something outside of Coach Belichick should call. I think the two teams that would be interesting would be and I don't think they're going to get fired, but if they decide to walk away would be Pittsburgh and or Seattle. If hmm. either of those coaches decides, hey, I'm going to retire, I don't know how likely that is. Yeah. You probably call those situations. I agree, Mina. If you're a team that is like a, a Chicago and a New Orleans and you're on the fringe, you've got to make a very quick decision because yeah. at some point, Harbaugh yeah. and Vrabel are going to get scooped up. Uh, Dan, really fast. If you mentioned New England philosophy-wise, because that seems to be such an important touch piece here, do you think that – Fits? Absolutely. The way, yeah, yeah, the way that you want to play football and build a football team. The most interesting aspect with New England, again, if they move on from Coach Belichick, is that, that head coach. Do you say at the third pick, we have to take a quarterback, or are you a Mac Jones guy? I, and, and some coaches might be. And I think that's going to be the interesting thing when it comes to the, like the philosophical alignment. Yeah, when I think about Mike Vrabel, I think about stability. And if it's ever been a franchise that needs stability, it's the Washington Commanders. Yeah. Especially ushering in this new <laughs> era. And also Magic Johnson being a part of that and being champions and just having that type of mentality when you go forward. And two, you got the second pick in the draft. Marcus, right now. you gotta you gotta so be very like you gotta be he, very he, confident that yeah. his development of a young quarterback is gonna be spot on. Tim Kelly, their offensive coordinator, is really good. Yeah. Is he bringing him yeah, with him? Yeah, but you also but then you also have Tamina's point about it being the strength of this coaching carousel is the known. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like we still taking a chance on these guys that have never been head coaches because you got to deal with a whole lot of other things other than calling plays. But the knowns is what make this a, a strong class, in my opinion. All right, we're going to continue to be talking about this a whole lot more, and we're going to keep our eyes out to see where these guys end up. There's going to be a lot of NFL news coming your way. Of course, it's always right here on NFL Live every day at 4 p.m. Get your oven mitts out of the picture. We'll see you tomorrow.